Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. I want to get into the message this morning. Uh, Josie and I were driving, uh, we were down in, in Tampa this week with my family, and, um, uh, but it was just Josie and I in the car, and I was just thinking and praying on the message for today, and was kind of feeling three or four different things, and just like some of these deep, like last week I was a little bit more, not shallow, but it was a more simple message, if you will, that the, on, on what is forbidden and what is permissible, the yes and the no. Um, so I was thinking, man, I'm going to go deep. I'm going to, you know, we're going to go into like revival, walking on water, raising the dead, casting out devils. Like we're going to go deep today. And I'm, I'm just chewing on all these messages in my heart. And Josie's sitting there. And at the same time, she goes, you know, it's, it's important that we teach on the deep things of God. But sometimes we just need to teach people how to get along with each other, right? And I'm like, yeah, me, me too. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking about teaching how to get along with each other. So today we're gonna to teach a message on how to get along with each other. <laughs> but I want you to pay careful attention because I got into this and I was studying this out. Like I had to delete half this message because we would have been here for two or three hours. And those of you that were here a month ago when I did preach for two or three hours, you're glad that I cut stuff out. The Bible has a lot to say about how we treat each other. So pay careful attention. Now, those of you that also know me well and have known me for many years, I am no relationship expert. Uh, I am originally from the Northeast, spent a lot of time in Maryland, Washington, D.C., New York. Like, I'm a little rough around the edges for Texas people. So uh, amen, that's enough amening. That's two amens out of you in two weeks, young lady. That is all the amens you get. So um, you never hear Eric amening me that loud. So my point is this. There are other people that could do this message a lot better than me, but how about we all work on our relationship skills together? Amen? Amen. Uh, amen. So all of us have relationships. You might, you might be like, I'm unemployed, single, I live at home. I, you still have relationships. All of us have relationships. Whether you have a roommate, whether you have siblings, whether you have kids or nieces or nephews, or the person living next door to you, or the person that helps you at Kroger, those are relationships that God has put in your life. It doesn't have to be a 30-year marriage. It could be somebody that works next to you or, or sits on the bus next to you, you know, because all of us take the bus all the time. The point is this, when I say relationship, I want you to think about all of your interpersonal relationships, those that are closest to you and those that are furthest from you, because God has a lot to say. And I found this verse in my studies that I'm like, I don't even need to read another verse. This is the one verse. And if I could spend the whole time camped out right here, this would be the verse. And if you were looking to get something tattooed in Greek on your arm, you would need a really long arm but this is the verse, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Therefore, God's chosen people that are holy and dearly loved, uncommon church, I want you to clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In what? In how you bear with one another. In your interpersonal relationships, you need those five things. I want you to forgive each other if somebody has a grievance against you because I want you to forgive others. Why? Because the Lord has forgiven you of your sins. Verse 14. And over all of these other virtues, forgiveness and the five things I mentioned, put on love, 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. And that phrase in Greek, to put on, imagine not jeans and a miscolored black sweater. Imagine a robe, because when this was written 2,000 years ago, everybody wore robes. I want you to picture it's wintertime, so you're getting out like your heavy like wool robe from head to toe, and you put on the love of God in all of your interpersonal relationships. Why? Because you are uncommon, because you are God's chosen people, because you put on love for other people, and that is demonstrated in compassion, in kindness, in how we forgive other people. We have an expression here at Uncommon Church called pre-forgiving. And, and that is that you don't have to choose to forgive somebody if they wrong you because you have already, it doesn't matter what you do to me, I'm going to forgive you. If you say mean things about me, I choose to forgive you. You steal from me, I choose to forgive you. You punch me in the mouth, I choose to forgive you because I'm not looking for an offense. You know, the longer I deal with people, the longer that I pastor, the more I find that, that people that, that have offenses with other people are looking for offenses. And if you look for an offense, you're always going to find an offense. And it's like we look at other people and it's like, how can I be mad at you today? Or we wake up and we open Instagram or Facebook and be like, what am I mad about today? Because when we look for offense, we're always going to find offense. I also want you to be, be mindful about forgiving people well. We are going to talk about that later. But God forgave us of our sins, so we have no right to not forgive other people that have been mean to us or wrong to us. We, we put on love like a big, heavy cloak, and we wrap the love of God all around us. Now, here's something. Imagine, if you will, I'm going to take the same illustration, but flip it to a light switch. You know, a 2,000-year-old ancient Israeli light switch. I thought that would get a little bit more of a joke, a laugh. I guess I'm, it's the sweater and the deodorant, isn't it? I'm off my game, so. Keep your love switched on. Like, don't turn your love off in your interpersonal relationships. There's a book that I'm going to recommend later by Danny Silk called Keep Your Love On. Because a lot of times in interpersonal relationships, instead of just giving ourselves fully to the relationship, we put our hand on the love switch, and we're looking for an opportunity to turn our love off and say something unloving. We're looking for an opportunity to turn our love off and respond. We're looking for an opportunity to turn our love off and go back into our cocoon of ourselves. I'm telling you, we need to keep our love turned on and look for reasons to keep it turned on that we would love the, the Kroger checkout lady and we would love our neighbor and we'd love our spouse and we'd love our kids well. So if we're talking about the love of God and we're talking about demonstrating the love of God, let's define what we're talking about. And there's no better definition than 1 Corinthians chapter 13, God defined love himself. He said love is patient, love is kind. This is not just in marriage or in a dating relationship, not just with best friends. This is with every buddy. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Can I get an amen? amen? We're going to talk about that later as well. And love will keep no record of wrong. Some people are really good at keeping a record of wrong. And you might say, well, I'm sorry. And they're like, well, I forgive you. But then 13 years later, they're going to bring up the very thing that you said you forgave them over. Love keeps no record of wrong. 
roommates, married people, people with children, and the kids leave the dishes in the sink, your roommate leaves the, the, the I had a room, mm. No, 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 because there's no chance he's ever going to see this. I had a roommate in college. We, we had a little apartment. I hate fish for obvious reasons because it's gross. <laughs> but he loved fish. And he went to the grocery store and he bought one of those whole fishes with like the head and the tail and the bones and everything in it. And he fried it up in a pan. And then he carefully like picked off, like, you know how guys are. We're not going to make a plate dirty. We're just going to stand in the kitchen and eat out of the pan because... There's no reason to make a, a plate dirty. And he's eating all of the meat off. And he, he got it down to like, it looked like a cartoon head, tail, and all the bones right down in the middle. And then he's like, oh, man, I got to go to work. And then he left that pan and that dead, rotting carcass in our kitchen. And I'm like, I am not cleaning it up. That thing sat there for like a week. I kept a record of wrong. Because 29 years later, I'm still telling that story. <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrong. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices in truth. Love will always protect. Love will trust. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. That's what we're talking about with the love of God. And when God is asking us to love people, he's asking a lot of us. Because people can be awful. People can be nasty, people can be rude, people can be selfish, and I'm talking about your family members. Like, sometimes interpersonal relationships are very, very difficult. So instead of having them, we just retreat away from them. But we're not allowed to do that. We have to demonstrate the love of God. We have to be a light in the darkness. We have to put on the cloak of the love of God and demonstrate love to everybody we walk into. Why is that so important? Because the devil hates people, so the devil hates interpersonal relationships, so the devil always wants to attack your relationships. The devil wants to attack Christian relationships more than any other relationship because if we do this right, we demonstrate the love of God to other people so he doesn't want you to be good with people. This whole message is so important because it might help us to really demonstrate the love of God to those that we really love in our life and those that are perfect strangers and those that are around the world, but it's so important that we learn to do this right because the devil is always trying to divide us. The devil's always trying to destroy our relationships. And he's always trying to get us to, to have ought and, and to be separated from one another. So I just want to encourage you that in the kingdom of God, we, we carry that light and that love on the inside of us. It is our job to spread it. And the, the, the quickest way to shut down the spread of the gospel is to shut down interpersonal relationships. So I'm going to give you some practical tips, but first, let me, let me explain the why. Why is this so important? Why do we need to take the time to, to go through the, dif, the discipline of, of learning to be good at relationships? The short answer is this. Open your employee handbook for Jesus. It's part of your job description. Before going back to heaven, Jesus gave one final instruction in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. You can't disciple nations without being good with the nationals. The gospel is meant to spread around the world. It is a part of your job description as a Jesus follower to take the Jesus message everywhere you go. So people that need to hear the gospel are outside of this room, and we, we would be selfish to keep it all to ourselves. So we 
can't be isolated. We have to get out there and, and, and be good at interpersonal relationships because it's part of our job description. So what is our job description? It's to continue the work that Jesus started. Luke chapter 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Your job description is to seek and save lost people. When was the last time you seeked and saved a lost person? When was the last time you shared the love of God with somebody? When was the last time you talked to somebody that if they got hit by a bus, they would probably go to hell because they don't have a right relationship with God through Jesus? When was the last time you shared the message of the gospel with them? Our job is to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, First uh, John 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Anytime you bump into the works of the devil, your job is to destroy it. And you might be like, dude, that's Jesus' job description. What have I been sent to do? John 20, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. We're literally sent to continue the work that Jesus began. And heal the sick, raise the dead, walk on water, multiply food, cast out devils, take the gospel message to the nations. We are called to do that. And in the same way that Jesus was called by the Father to come and bring the kingdom of God to the earth, you are called by the Father to take the kingdom of God to wherever you go to school, wherever you work, wherever you shop, wherever you vacation, you are a light in the darkness. John chapter 14, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And Jesus said, you're actually going to do greater works than I did. Jesus is going to return to the Father. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. You're going to do greater works. Your job description is to continue the work that Jesus began. Jesus was really good with people. We need to get really good with people if we're going to take the gospel message to every tribe, tongue, and people. We have to be good with the people if we're going to do that. We, we can't just say, well, I'm not good with people, or I'm an introvert, or I'm quiet, or I got hurt, or I went through a terrible divorce, or I went through the seventh grade. So therefore, by the way, if, if any of that is true for you, Freedom Track 1 starts today. And I double dog dare you to go to Freedom Track. Okay, the fact that only three people clap means a lot more of you need to sign up for Freedom Track. So let's go ahead and pull out your app, Church Center, Events, Freedom Track, sign up. It starts in about an hour. We know, Jesus said, the harvest field of people that need to get right, that harvest is ripe. It's, all I need is harvesters. And our ability to build interpersonal relationships is the sickle in God's hand to bring in that harvest. We have got to learn to get better at interpersonal relationships. And one of the reasons I think we're terrible at interpersonal relationships is because the devil doesn't want us to spread the gospel. So let me give you nine practical tips. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. There are many, many, many things the Bible has to say about being good with people. I'm just going to give you a few. And I'll also say this. <laughs> this message is easy to preach, hard to live. And nothing that I'm about to share with you is going to be like, oh, wow, I've never thought of that before. Everything is super simple, but rarely exercised, number one. We need to remember that all people have been created in the image of God. I read this verse last week, but if we would remind ourselves that everybody we bump into, the people we like, the people we don't like, the people that look like us, the people that voted like us, and the people that root for the Cowboys, that all of them were created in the image of God. I need to pick a team for next week. 
Now, as a former Redskins fan, I can't possibly root for the Eagles. I have to root for the Mahomes. Yeah, yeah why not? Everybody's been created in the image of God. This is the verse I read last week, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created mankind in his image. Mankind bears the image of God. So if people bear the image of God and Jesus died for all people, then we need to value people. But here's the problem. When we meet a new person, we grab that love switch and we begin to value them and compare them. Am I better than them? Are they worse than me? Do they make more money to them? Do I have a nicer house? Do I drive a nicer car? No, you are exactly the same because the same price was paid for everybody, and that is the blood of Jesus. We're all created in the image of God. We have got to remind ourselves, which obviously leads to number two, if we're all created in the image of God, every single person is worthy of a measure of honor. Why? Because they bear the image of God. Whether that's your family, whether that's your friends, whether that's perfect strangers, they bear the image of God. So therefore, they should not be talked down to, they should not be talked bad about, they should not be cursed at. They, no, you should not treat a celebrity or a homeless person any differently because they all are created in the image of God, therefore they all should be honored. Now here's the thing with honor. Now this is especially true with like most men and some sassy ladies. That if you have been dishonored, you feel disrespected. Who do you think you're talking to? You, you're going to talk to me like, don't you? How dare you disrespect me in my own Kia soul? Like, who do you think you are talking to me like that? And for some reason, dishonor or disrespect is like a trigger that allows us to like just blow up and get angry with people. To our children, don't you talk to me like that, boy. In the mall, somebody, somebody stink eyes you, and you just turn, I said stink, because then you're allowed to say something else. And they just walk like, who, do you, who are you looking at? Jesus answered this. Turn the other cheek. Just turn the other cheek. It doesn't matter if somebody disrespects you or dishonored you. Your job is not to receive respect and honor. Your job is to give respect and honor to other people. Whether it's a close friend or somebody that, that you don't know, humble yourself, swallow your pride, turn the other cheek and say nothing. Or say blessing. Pour a spoonful of sugar on that person. Just love on them and bless them. And if they're gonna be nasty, they'd be like, I love your shoes. That's amazing. Now let me just say this, this is for most people, for most men, and for most sassy ladies. If you are not confrontational, if you are an introvert, don't be a doormat. Don't give permission to somebody to speak to you terribly because you were created in the image of God. That turn the other cheek thing is for people like me, hotheads that are jerks sometimes. If you are one of the people that often is on the receiving end of other people disrespecting and dishonoring you, you need to stand up for yourself and realize who your identity is as a child of the king of the universe and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you, that you are a mighty warrior in the kingdom of God and nobody should be able to verbally or emotionally assault you. So yes, you turn the other cheek and you walk away and you put some distance between you and the other person. Don't just stand there and be a doormat and get beat up on by a bully. Which leads to number three, in conflict. All of us face conflicts, but anger is not an option. I'm talking to roommates and sisters and married people and 
people that drive on 183. <laughs> Conflict happens. Any kind of interpersonal relationship can be messy, which is why we need to clothe ourselves in the love of God and not respond in anger. James chapter one, dear brothers and sisters at Uncommon Church, please take note of this. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires in your life. And for two Christians, you should fight for each other, not against each other. And sometimes in marriage, you need to remember that you are, you're fighting against the world, not against each other. Because everything is trying to attack your godly relationship. So therefore, instead of being face-to-face -face fighting each other, why don't you get back-to-back -back and shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder and fight together? And when, when attentions are high, when, when emotions are high, either don't speak or speak softly, speak gently, speak in a way that is kind to people. Proverbs chapter 15, a gentle answer will turn away wrath, but a harsh word will stir up a three or four hour argument. So be gentle with everybody. There's never a reason to bully people. There's never a reason to yell at people. There's never a reason to shame people. There's never a reason to talk down to somebody. And I mean never, ever, ever, never, ever. There's just no reason for it, ever. And I will say this, because I was an expert at this. I haven't done this in a long time. But I used to be such a jerk that as trying to be a mighty man of God and, and not respond in harsh words, I would respond with like a fake gentle voice with like super passive, aggressive, like clenched mouth. Like I'm saying nice things, but inside I'm super angry. But to me, I'm not yelling. No, that's, that's like worse. Don't be a jerk, Brad. Which, honestly, I haven't done that in years. I'm a lot better than I used to be. Some people are like, well, we're praying for you. <laughs> we're praying for Josie. Listen, I'm a lot better than I used to be. <laughs> Number four, in your interpersonal relationships, it'll always help if you believe the best and don't assume the worst. Just believe the best in people. A victim in life will always assume that everybody's trying to attack them and that they're always going to be in victim mentality. You are not a victim. You are an overcomer in Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. So don't be a victim in life. Assume the best of people. Somebody was, didn't do what they said they were going to do, don't assume the worst. Assume the best of people. And sometimes there are people in life that are trying to hurt you. Like sometimes you do have to realize that, that, that there are terrible people out there that are trying to hurt you. Okay, put some distance between you and them. But for the rest of people, and they just happen to drop the ball, don't assume that they meant to drop the ball to hurt you. You're not a victim. Have grace for them. Why? Because you're going to drop balls too, and you're going to need people to have grace on you. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. So don't you want other people to assume the best of you? So therefore, you need to assume the best of other people. This goes to somebody that, that you're at work with, it's difficult, to the closest people in your life. Assume the best of other people. The next one is only for me. This won't help you at all. Number five, think before you speak. <laughs> where, where was this when I was a kid? It's like I never, my stepfather, almost on a daily basis, he said, I don't think there's any space between your brain and your tongue. It just all comes out at the same time. 
The rest of us have a filter. And here's the filter. Think, what impact are my words about to have? How are my words gonna be perceived? And to do that, you need to have some empathy and some humility and put yourself in the other person's shoes. Walk a mile in their shoes. Think for a moment before you speak. Because a lot, almost all conflict could be avoided if we would just take a moment before speaking and think, what are my words gonna sound like? How are my words gonna be felt? Here's something, should I even say this? Because this is a radical idea, it's not one of the thoughts because it just goes, but this might change your life. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you need to say it. I'm gonna say it to this side of the room. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean it needs to be said. It's okay to just have a thought to yourself and not say it out loud. Don't speak. Like just think first. Number six, when there's a conflict, be the first one to apologize. When there's a conflict, be the first one to apologize. Josh, do you have the second slide for that? Oh, and you have to mean it. <laughs> this was something that Josie and I heard, I don't know if it was a marriage article or whatever, marriage conference, you know, something years ago, early in our marriage. Be the first one to apologize. Like, you know, you have a blow up, you have a fight. Be the first one to be like, you know what, wait, 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 I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I started this whole thing 10 minutes ago because I said this and I'm really sorry. Be the first one to apologize and mean it. So here's the funny thing. Early in our marriage, after just you know a couple of years of being married, she would probably start a fight, right? <laughs> and I would be the first one to be like, hey, 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 hey. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that thing. She'd be like, wait, ah! And then it was like we're mad at each other because who was the first one to break down the fight and apologize first? If you went to our marriage uh, retreat two years ago, you heard uh, Casey and Megan from Marriage 365 teach the four-step apology. I'm gonna very briefly go over that again because a lot of you have forgotten and you're just doing a one-step apology if you're even doing an apology at all and some of you weren't there. This is how you apologize in four steps. Number one, I am sorry for, and name the thing you're sorry for, not just my bad, I'm sorry for the action, but here's the important part, and the feeling that that probably caused you to feel. So here's an example for this. You're running errands, you say you'll be home at six o'clock for dinner, and it's like you got stuck, it was traffic, it was a car upside down, it was an ice storm, there was what, you had to run back to the office, whatever. It's like 7.30. So here's your phone call. Babe, I am so sorry I didn't call you when I was running late and I made you feel disrespected or I made you feel ignored. And then be quiet and listen because your spouse didn't say, I didn't feel disrespected, I just felt like, you know, maybe something was wrong and I was concerned. I'm sorry for the action and the feeling that I, I put on you by doing that. Number two, I was wrong. Young people, like any, which is the older I get, the younger, anybody under 40? <laughs> These are three words that'll change your life. I was wrong. We all drop the ball sometimes. We all make mistakes. Few people know how to own it well. 
And the more I watch politicians get caught stealing money or sleeping with people they're not married to or, you know, whatever, some woke thing, they will make a non-apology apology in a press conference. Wouldn't it be better if a, a president or a politician just got up and say, I was wrong, I, I blew it, I did this thing, I'm very sorry, I was wrong. Number three, what can I do to make this better? How can I fix this? So in the example of running late, you're, hey, babe, I'm so sorry I was running late and I didn't text you and I made you feel ignored. Your spouse, how can I make this right? Your spouse says, it's no big deal, just next time shoot me a quick text that I know you're running late. Like it's not always a big thing, sometimes it's a little thing. What can I do to make it better? Number four, you have to finish like this. Will you forgive me? Because when you have this thing in between you, it needs to get cleared from the deck. It has to be removed. And the way that that happens is we say, will you forgive me? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let unforgiveness stay between you. If you ask for forgiveness and get really good at asking for forgiveness, get really good at racing to ask forgiveness, that you are the first one to ask forgiveness. You have to mean it and you have to do it right. It has to be in four steps, but that leads to number seven. You need to learn how to be quick to forgive. Like you need to learn how to forgive people well. Matthew chapter six and verse 14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Listen to this, this is important, verse 15. If you do not forgive other people of their sins, the Father will not forgive you of your sins. Your own forgiveness is tied to how well you forgive other people. Can I also say this? Sometimes people are gonna do the same terrible thing to you over and over and over and over and over again. The closer you are in an interpersonal relationship, a work relationship, roommates, siblings, married people, you're gonna hurt each other in the exact same way. And somebody went to Jesus and they were like, hey, I understand that we're supposed to forgive other people. Like, I get that, because you talk about it a lot. But at what point can I stop forgiving them? And Jesus used an old expression, and he goes, just forgive them 70 times seven. And he's like, cool. Carry the one. 490 times for the same offense. And he looks over his shoulder and smiles and walks away. I made up the last part, but that's how I imagine it going. Now, having to forgive somebody of the same thing 490 times, it's just a figure of speech, but basically Jesus is saying, you will always and continually be in a state of forgiveness if you were gonna be in interpersonal relationships. You have gotta get really good of keeping no record of wrong. Let me also add something here that's not in my notes. I find that Christian people that are mature, they learn how to forgive other people, but they don't always learn to release people of bitterness. So you, somebody hurts you, somebody did something wrong to you, somebody did you dirty, and they're like, whether they ask for forgiveness or not, you still have to forgive them. You could have had a family member, a coach, a person in your former life do something dirty to you, terrible to you, hurt you, and then they die, you still have to forgive them. You can't hold on to that unforgiveness. But here's the second stage, the second part of that. You have to release the bitterness. Because I know a lot of people that would be like, yeah, I forgave them 20 years ago, but they're still bitter with that person. Release them of the debt and re release yourself of the bitterness. Keep no record of wrong, number eight. Celebrate one another, don't just tolerate each other. Especially like the longer you've been in a relationship, friends, family, siblings, married people, 
Like married people in particular, you are not roommates. So stop treating each other like you're just tolerating each other. People don't want to be tolerated, they want to be celebrated. Maybe you have the really annoying person at work, and if you don't have one, it's you. <laughs> Trying to think of who the annoying person is in our office. Not you. Josie said it was Lene. The point is, <laughs> no, Josie goes, nobody. The more difficult somebody is in your life, the more you're going to have to celebrate them and work at the interpersonal relationships. You're not allowed to just tolerate people. That's not the kingdom. Some, some married people, you've taken the old expression, if you don't have anything nice, don't say anything at all. And you haven't spoken to each other for years. <laughs> I'll add to it. If you don't have anything nice to say about somebody, you don't have the love of God in your heart. God's love should be pouring out of every cell of your body, whether it's somebody you've been married to for 40 years or somebody you met 40 minutes ago, especially your family and friends. Number nine, be open with people, not closed off. And for the introverted people, the people that have been hurt, this is gonna be hard for you to open yourself up to say, listen, I'm open to talk to new people. I'm open to share my feelings. I'm open to share my emotions. I'm open to share a smile with a stranger. This is in my notes, it's literally a thing. Share a smile, open yourself up. Yesterday I'm in the grocery store and I've got my list and I'm going through my list and I'm grabbing this. And I'm not a big like smiley person. Like it's not my natural resting state is to smile at people even though I have the love of God in my heart and I should be. And there's like a 16 year old kid walking the other way towards me and I'm pushing my cart and I happen to look up and we made eye contact. For some reason this kid was smiling at me. Just a goofy looking like sophomore in high school. You know how like teenage boys always need a haircut but they don't know it? Like just a goofy looking kid with a great personality and he's smiling at me. So do you know, who does he think he is? So you know what I did? I pretended to look at my list. And I just wrote, you should smile at people. And I'm walking past the kid and the Holy Spirit goes, dude, that was a test. And I fail. I told you I need this message more than you do. Be open with people. Be open to have relationships with people. Be open to be nice to people. Be open to smile at people. I will warn you, if you are open to interpersonal relationships and building new ones, other people are different than you. They're different genders, they're different heights, they make more money, they make less money, they have more education, they have less education, they voted for the guy you like, they voted for the guy you hate. It's a good thing that we're different. We are the ones that need, if we're gonna spread the love of God, if we're gonna spread the gospel, we are the ones that have to find common ground with people. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Now I have to remind you, in the ancient world, Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, were not allowed to mix. So like if a Jew got on a boat and went to a Greek or a Roman city, they would have to walk through the city like this, like not touch anybody and don't eat their food and don't go into their house. Like Jews had to be really careful who they talked to and who they touched. How are you gonna spread the gospel like that? So Paul said this, he said, although I am free and I belong to nobody, instead I make myself a slave to everybody I meet. Why? 
so I can win as many people to Jesus as possible. To the Jews, I act more like a Jew. So why? So I can win the Jews to Jesus. When I'm with the Gentiles, I act more like a Gentile. Why? So I can win the Gentiles to Jesus. To those that have no law is what he's referring to in verse 21. Even though I'm free. To the weak, I'm weak. To the strong, I'm strong. I become all things to all people. Why? So that by all means possible, I might save some of them. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And too often when we meet new people, we try to change them into becoming more like us. That's not how the gospel spreads. You, 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 you reach the nations by finding common ground with them, not by living on an island alone, closed off and shut off where you don't talk to people. Be loving, be kind, talk to different people. Older people and younger people and people of different skin tones and colored backgrounds, uh, cultural backgrounds and national backgrounds. Like, develop relationships with people. The message about Jesus is more important than your opinions. The message about Jesus is more important than who you voted for. Our job is to make disciples of all nations and we cannot do that if we're closed off. Listen, I understand that I'm asking you to do a very difficult thing, but it is really worth it. Because to God, unity and relationships makes him happy. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That he chose that word dwell on purpose. Dwell means we live together. We're brothers and sisters. We're around the same table. We share the same father. We're woven together. We, we're here to, to build those relationships. Can I also tell you something? The fruit of the Spirit will help you a lot. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will help you in all of these things. And I didn't say the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are easy. Because a gift, all you have to do is receive it, figure out how it works, and use it. Supernatural wisdom, supernatural powerful miracles, prophecy, words of knowledge, that's easy. The fruit of the Spirit is hard because it takes time to cultivate fruit. You can't be good with people until you lean on and rely on the fruit of the Holy Spirit to help make you good with people. Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have had their flesh crucified with all of its passions and desires. And since we're living by the Spirit, let us keep in it in step with the Spirit. I love that. Fruit has to be grown. And the way we do it is by keeping in step with the Spirit. If we're going to be good with people, we've got to learn to be in step with the Holy Spirit. So ask God to give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then ask God to help you grow the fruit of the Spirit. Hop up on your feet. I have one final thought for you. There was a book when I was a kid called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Basically, it was trying to tell married couples, you speak a different language. You speak a different language. So you can't speak to somebody and expect them to fully understand until you put yourself in their shoes. And when you speak a different language, that's what interpersonal relationships are like. On Friday night, I was flying back from Tampa and I was on the plane and for Black History Month that had a whole section on the, the movies that went by of, of great tales of African-American people that have overcome terrible, terrible things to find victory. And one of the first movies, because of A, was the movie Amistad. It's a true story from the early 1800s about 
a, a boat, a ship full of Africans from Sierra Leone that were illegally captured and transferred to Cuba. And then after their time in Cuba, they revolted against the ship's captains and took over control of the ship. When they hit U.S. waters, the U.S. took them into custody. And then they, they didn't know what to do with them. They, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't sure what to do with these men and women from Africa. And here was the biggest problem. There was a lawyer, if you haven't seen this movie, I highly recommend it. And if you're under 40, you probably haven't seen this movie. So your homework assignment is to watch Amistad. One of the biggest struggles was their lawyer, played by Matthew McConaughey, could not communicate with the Mende people. And the frustration, so they had to figure out a way to communicate. In all of your interpersonal relationships, whether it's a brand new person that you are meeting for the first time or somebody you've known for 30 or 40 years, you're probably speaking a different language. Men and women and older and younger and different cultural backgrounds and different you know, political affiliations, different religious backgrounds. We speak different languages, so we have to find common ground and learn to be able to speak with one another. And like I saw in the movie, and if you've ever spoken with somebody whose native language is different than yours, there's a few things you have to do. You have to speak more slowly. You have to try to be understood. You have to try to put yourself in their head. What are they hearing? And then when they speak, you need to just shut your mouth and listen. Maybe that's the number one thing you needed to hear today in interpersonal relationships. Sometimes you don't need to speak, you just need to listen. And listen carefully. And when they say something or do something wrong, give them all sorts of grace in the world. Have you ever talked to an immigrant that's speaking English for the first time and they, they mix up, you know, cat and dog or something? You're not gonna be like, hey, stupid. It's, it, you got it wrong. Nobody would do that. You're going to respond with grace. You're going to respond with humility. You're going to find common ground to help speak to one another. That's the way we need to go at our interpersonal relationships. That we are wildly different. So we need to learn to speak to one another, to encourage one another, to find that common ground. We need to go into every conversation with a different person as if they speak a different language. And they need all the grace in the world and I need all the grace in the world. I told you this message wasn't gonna be super deep and profound, but it could change your life forever. It could help you in your existing relationships and it could help you win people to Jesus. That is our job description, is to win people to Jesus. How can we help other people to know the Lord? I'm gonna give you three quick recommended resources. Two are books by Danny Silk. The first one is to keep your love on. The second one um, is the culture of honor which I think we even have copies of these books on our little book table at the Connect table. If you're new to our church, stop by the Connect table on the way out. We wanna welcome you and tell you how glad we are that you're here. If you're in any kind of relationship, dating relationship, engaged relationship, marriage relationship, there's a tool for you. It's a website called Marriage365. I stole their four-step uh, apology. Uh, it, I highly recommend, these are the guys that spoke at our marriage conference uh, two years ago. Highly recommend Marriage365's resources for a, a relationship like that. We can't, <laughs> we can't share the love of God if we don't have the love of God burning in our hearts. Does that make sense? Like if you are new here or you're new to Jesus stuff and you'd be like, yeah, okay, I can do better in relationships. Listen, the only way you're really gonna do this the way that God intended is when you have God burning on the inside of your heart. 
So one of the fastest ways for the devil to destroy your relationships and your future relationships is to keep you from surrendering your heart to Jesus. This whole service might have been super uncomfy for you because we're talking about how much God loves you and he's crazy about you and a sloppy wet kiss between a father and his child and you're like, nah, fam, I just came to visit a church because I have a friend here or something. Listen, God, it's not an accident that you're here. It's not a, it's not a coincidence. God went fishing. You didn't know it, but in your heart, there's a tug. And he's saying, dude, I'm not mad at you. I love you. I'm crazy about you. I want to put the, the love of God in your heart, in your life, to completely transform you. You go from death to life. You go from orphan to child of the Most High God. You go from victim to victor. Now, it's more, we have to die to ourselves so we can live for him. We have to die to sin so we can live for him and be holy. We, we, we can't just continue in sin. We can't keep getting drunk on the weekends or high on the weekends or looking at porn or getting angry or sleeping with somebody we're not married to or lying to people or getting, like we have to stop. We have to repent. We have to change. But the change doesn't happen first. The surrender happens first. And then the Holy Spirit God will help us to change. He'll help us to surrender. He'll help us to live holy. Sometimes people are like, well, preacher, I just, I'm so dirty. I need to get cleaned up before I can come to the Lord. You don't need to get clean to take a shower. You just need to get in and let the Holy Spirit wash away. Does that make sense? Like so many people are trying in religion like, no, 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 I got to stop getting high. I got to stop looking at porn. I got to stop yelling. I got to stop. I, and you're like, just, 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 just surrender your life to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Make him the Lord of your life. Invite the love of God to come into your heart so that you can begin to share that love wherever you go. I can't pray it for you, but I can help you. I can lead you in a prayer. If you believe it in your heart, you can pray it out loud. In fact, why don't we all just close our eyes, bow our heads, even at home, if you're watching at home online, just right there between you and God. If you believe this and you want to surrender your life to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sin, why don't we all pray this together? Say, dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I repent and I surrender my life to you. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive the gift of eternal life. I receive the gift of your great love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for forgiving me, for being the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, look up here at me. If you prayed that prayer, for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you shoot your hand up real high just so I know, hey, some people got right with God today. If you're here today, and you, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? I see that hand. Is there anybody else? I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand up real high. Good, 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 good. Yay, God. Yay, God. 
Listen, if you're watching at home online, three people just got right with Jesus today. I, I can't see you raise your hand, but between you and God, just shoot your hand up and say, preacher, I got right with God today. Listen, here's what I want you to do. A couple of things that we're going to do all at the same time. We're going to go back into a time of worship. I'd like our prayer team to come down and pray for people. If you're watching at home and you just got right with Jesus, I want you to pull out your phone and text the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244. That's going to send you a little form. Fill out that form and click submit because we want to pray for you and encourage you in your walk with God. And we have this wall over here that has the name of Jesus spelled out in light bulbs. We're going to take your initials, we're going to write them on a light bulb, and we're going to screw it into the Jesus wall. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.